0: It is so good to be with you guys. It is so good to be here. Awesome. And you know what? In the past, the 11 o'clock service, sometimes you guys just, you know, you're just kind of it's getting close to lunch. You just kind of mellow out. But you guys are on it. You guys are on it today, so, so glad to be with you. My observation this morning is, you know, we're in community together, and yet I haven't seen many of you in six months. That's just weird. That is just wrong. So I hope you're enjoying seeing one another. We are so glad that you're here. If you are new, fantastic. My name is Alan, and so glad that you're with us. So glad to see your actual faces, at least this part of your actual faces. And, and to those of you at home, so glad that you are with us. We look uh, forward very much to you gathering with us here in this place together. And until then, we will continue with our online experience. We will enjoy being with you every uh, uh, service on Sunday mornings on a weekly basis. So glad that you are with us. We have much to be thankful for. As Pyandre sung. God has been faithful to us. And so I want to just start with uh, another prayer, a prayer of thanksgiving. Would you bow your head with me? Those of you at home, bow your heads as well. Lord, we are thankful for your goodness, thankful that you sustain us through difficult seasons, through difficult times in our lives. Personally, we go through a bad week, a bad month, a bad year, and you are with us and we as a church have gone through a difficult season and yet here we gather and, and we continue to do ministry we continue to connect with you and be challenged by you. We are thankful that we are able to meet in homes this morning. We are thankful that we are able to meet in this room today. We are thankful and we give you our thanks. In your son's name we pray, amen. 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 Well, let me ask you a question. Um, can you think of a time? When was the last time that you knew you were right about something? Now, this might be quite some time ago. Might be years ago. For, oh, yeah, where, when did that happen? It may have been on the drive-in today. Something happened. It may be for those of you uh, at home. Maybe it was a conversation this week about whether or not you should be in person or online, uh, etc. Whenever you kind of recall a time when you were right, right now, right now in this moment here today, do you still think that you were or are right? Yeah, if you're honest, of course you do. Of course you do. I mean, that's the way it works. What would it take for you to think, Maybe I'm not right. Maybe I actually need to loosen up on this, open up some other possibilities, and maybe, maybe I'm mostly right and there's some adjustment to it. What would it take for you to let go of the strength you have and the confidence you have that you are right? What if, what if Jesus stood before you appeared before you and said, hey, on that particular issue, in that particular conflict or whatever, you don't know the whole picture. And so uh, you're what we call not right. (laughs) What if you realizing your role in God's incredible story actually requires you to loosen up on something that you believe you are absolutely right on? We are in a series called You Never Know, and the idea is that as we walk down the paths of life, you never know what's around the corner. There's, there's just an unexpected part of this journey. God doesn't make any promises. That he's going well, to pave the whole path for us. Just, you never know. That's what fear is. Any anxiety or fear that you have is simply because we don't know what's in front of us. People are afraid of the dark because they don't know what might be in front of us. People are afraid of what might happen to the economy, what might happen to their physical health, because we don't know what's going to happen the next day. We don't know what's around the corner. You never know what's around the corner. And faith and trust means I'm going to continue to take a step knowing that my God, the one who created me, the one who gave me life, knows what's around the corner. In this series, we are looking at the book of Acts in the New Testament. And this is the story, so the New Testament begins with the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Then it's the book of Acts. It's the story of the followers of Jesus after Jesus ascended into heaven. And it's an incredible story. If you have your your journal that Jan talked about... um, you don't have to bring it to church, but it's a, it's a good thing to kind of bring, it, bring your Bible, bring your journal, and, kind of, and can we kind of we can do this together at home. If you have your journal, please pull one out. And if you would, turn to page eight and nine. I just want to remind you, on pages eight and nine is a summary of what we refer to as the seven parts of the story. These are the, the seven parts of the overall story of humanity. Not just the Bible, but the whole story of human existence. And right now in this series, we're talking on the top right, part number four is the revolution. That's the story of the rest of the New Testament. After the story of of Jesus in the Gospels, the rest of the story we refer to as the revolution because Jesus started a revolution of love and it was his disciples who followed him and took it to Jerusalem and to to Samaria and, 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 and to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. They took this revolution and they went and took it to the world. This is the story in the book of Acts and in the letters in the rest of the New Testament. The revolution of love. Turn turn two more pages to the right and you'll find the Bible reading plan. I wanna remind you that this is here. If you have your own Bible reading plan, fantastic. If you don't, check it out. This is a very doable plan. It's only two or three chapters a day. You can absolutely do this. If you're, on, if you're thinking, you know, I've always wanted to read through the Bible. This is a great plan for it. And right now, we're actually reading through the book of Acts as part of the Bible reading plan. All right? So in the book of Acts, we've been looking at a few of the characters. We looked at Pentecost in week one, and, and last week, Jan looked at the story of Philip. And so today, we're looking at the story of a guy named Paul. And Paul is a major player in the revolution. Paul is a major player in the story. This was a guy who knew that he was right. He, you know, The question I asked you at the very beginning, this guy, he knew that he was right. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to the book of Acts with me. Again, it's the fifth book in the New Testament I'm reading from Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. We are going to put the verses up here on the screen, but that's just a backup, okay? I highly encourage you to get your Bible out. We're going to put it on screen for those of you at home, but I do encourage you to get your Bible out and look at it and read it and and be ready to put notes in the the, um, margins or whatever kind of, you know, grabs you. Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul... Now, just to let you know. I I said we're talking about Paul, but Paul's original name was Saul, and his name was changed to Paul. This can be confusing at times, but it's the same person. He is Saul, and then later on in the story, his name is changed to Paul. Same person. Meanwhile, Saul slash Paul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. For those of you not, not familiar with Saul and his background in this story, it's just really important to understand this is a guy who, who, who really was against the followers of Jesus, and he knew that he was right. He knew that he was following the one true God, and that these followers of Jesus were wrong and they needed to be stopped in whatever way it took, whether they were put into prison or they were killed, stoned, whatever. This is what he took part in. He was a part of killing Christians. And this is is who we're talking about. This is the guy here in this story. He knew he was right. He went to the high priest, who would be the leader of the Jewish faith, and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that, he, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, that's the, the followers of Jesus were referred to those who followed the way. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem or do whatever it takes to kind of take care of them to wipe them out. This is a guy who is, uh, is th- these are not the actions of someone who's unsure. These are not the actions of someone who is, you know, who would have a conversation with his Jewish friends and say, you know, these people who are following Jesus, I don't know. I don't know if they're right or not. I'm kind of leaning toward no. That's not where Saul is. I mean, wham, Saul is all the way. He knows he is right. And then this happens, verse 3. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. Just imagine the the shock of that moment, the, the transition for Saul in that moment. Just, whoa, everything is challenged here. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Saul knew that he was right. He was heading to Damascus to stop these, this cult of people who were following Jesus. He knew that he was doing the right thing. And then boom. You never know, as we're walking on this journey of life, you never know when we're not as right as we think we are. We often land in a place of such great confidence that we are right. You never know when we're not as right as we think we are. Now, now the problem with this story is it's not an issue of, of Saul's confidence. In other words, it's not a problem that Saul was confident and that, you know, Jesus had to, to stop his confidence. Confidence is a good thing. In fact, I think God loved Saul's confidence. Saul was very, he knew that he was right. I think that God looked down on the city of Jerusalem, knowing he needed a new leader for this revolution to add to the disciples. And he looked down and he saw, here's this guy killing Christians. I want him. I mean, I could just, God, God loved his confidence, I believe. Looked down and said, this guy, he has got the heart of a lion. I wanna go after this guy. I wanna meet him. I wanna get him. I just think God loved Saul's confidence. I also love in this story that in that, in that transition where you know, Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? That, that when, when Saul realizes that he's wrong he doesn't just cower in the corner and say, I'm, so, I'm such an idiot, I was wrong, my, wife, my, my life is a waste, the air I breathe is a waste. He didn't do any of that. He said, it's almost like he understood grace right away. He didn't cower and just kind of beat himself up over it. He just said, okay, I guess I was wrong. And then he said, okay, if, it, Lord, if this is you, and it sure looks like it is, <laughs> then I'm with you. What do we do? Where do you want me to go? What what do you want me to do? The problem is not not that Saul had confidence. I think God loved his, his confidence. The problem is when we think that we're right and we hold on to it no matter what happens, even when Jesus stands right before us and shines his brightness on us and we just ignore all of that and hang on to being right. That's when it becomes a problem. See, what happens when I know I'm right and I'm in community with you and you know that you're right? And so we have to interact and we do this. What typically happens? Well, we know what happens. Division, right? I mean, conflict and anger and division. This is, it happens all the time and it is happening more and more in our culture. In in an increasing level, it is happening. Just look at the, the political tension in the country right now. The chasm between Democrats and Republicans is bigger than it ever has been. I, I'm, now I know some of you are nervous. Oh, no, he's talking about politics. I'm not, talk, I'm not saying one way or the other. I'm just talking about the reality that the chasm between the Democrats and the Republicans is bigger than it ever has been. And both sides are saying, I'm right, and you are the cause of all the other problems. I'm completely right, and you are completely right wrong. It is becoming more and more. Did you know that there are amazing Jesus-loving Democrats here in our church, and there are amazing Jesus-loving Republicans here in our church? May God help us if they ever knew who each other was. You are sitting right next to somebody who politically, ideologically is on a completely different place than you. And we just kind of, let's just not talk about it. Let's just don't talk about it. We are so divided, right and wrong, right and wrong. We are so divided. Black Lives Matter, skeptical about the origins of Black Lives Matter, guns, no guns, funding the police, defunding the police, it just goes on and on and over for the past six months. We, to to great detriment, we as a society, we as a, as a as a as a as a planet, have been so divided and separated. Even here in this even this room today, even though we get to gather, we're so divided and separated from one another, and it has hurt us emotionally, relationally. We have in-person church, and we have online church, and it's not right or wrong, it's just that we are separated, we are divided. We have the mask people and the people who only wear masks when they have to, but they forget a lot. And so we have the masks and the non-maskers. I mean, we're just separated in so many different ways. So divided, which is a big deal because Jesus, the night before he died, died on a cross for you and me. The night before that happened, he prayed for you and me. He prayed for, for those who would choose to follow, for all the believers that would come, for all those who would be part of this revolution of love. He prayed for all of us. In John chapter 17, read this, it's incredible. And what he prays, is that we would be one. That we would be one. That's what Jesus prayed for us for the past 2,000 years. And yet we continue to be divided and fighting over. We find things to fight about so often. And this Saul slash Paul, he got this. He got it, his name became Paul, and he ended up writing 12 of the 27 books in the New Testament. A, a tremendous amount was written by this guy of, of our New Testament. And a major theme for Saul was unity. A major theme for him. As you read through his letters, it shows up over and over again. He understood that we are to be one. At one point in the book of Galatians, he, he writes, he writes, something radical. He says, there is to be no longer Jew or Gentile, no slave or free, male nor female. We are to be one in Christ Jesus, Paul says. This was earth-shattering stuff. This was incredibly radical stuff. In a world that is is so divided, it was then, it has been for 2,000 years, it is now the message is that we are to be one. We've got our issues of division. They had their issues of division. There are three main issues of division in the New Testament church, in the early revolution church in the New Testament that Paul addressed consistently, repeatedly. One was the Sabbath, the Jewish people had a history of, of valuing the Sabbath, which was part of the Ten Commandments, part of the roots, the foundation of the story. And the non-Jewish people just thought that was being lazy. You take one day out of, out of the week where you just don't do anything, that just seemed lazy to them. And there was tension and fighting. And how can we, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right. Another divisive issue for them was food. That For the Jewish tradition, there were certain foods that that were forbidden. And this was offensive to the non-Jewish people who said, oh, so my bacon cheeseburger is not good enough for you. So there was division with that. And it was a big deal. You can come to my house, but you can't have that food and etc. And then the third one, so it was Sabbath, it was food. And the third one that caused great division was circumcision. That one kind of makes sense because the Jewish people says, yeah, that's what we do. And the non Jewish people says, yeah, that's that that sounds like a terrible idea. And so there's lots of division among these things. And it just went on and on. And Paul addressed it over and over and over again. And Paul ultimately, this guy who is not subtle about very much, he says, he says, all of that stuff, it doesn't matter. We can talk about it, we can learn from each other, but it doesn't matter. It should not be the thing that separates us, that divides us. It doesn't matter because we are on the same team. We can talk about it, but we're on the same team. You ever seen kids this big play soccer? And, 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 and so, you know, the coach does a very good job of saying, okay, hey, that's your position, that's your position, that's your position. And they all get in their positions, and they go, I'm ready. I know what my position is. I'm all ready to go. Then the whistle blows, and wham, they all go right into the middle. And they all just go. And they, they go to where the ball is, and they don't care who has a green shirt on and who has a yellow shirt on. They just start kicking and they tossing people around and they just go for it because they, they don't understand the whole idea of team. That's the way we are. We're like kids on a soccer field. When we just go after the ball, I'm right, and forget that we are on the same team. We forget and so we fight. We fight at work. We fight in the church. We fight in our group's we fight at home, spouses on the same team, fighting, div- divided. I've said this before, I'll say it again. If I win and you lose, we lose. When we're on the same team, if I win and I'm in community with you and you lose, because I'm right and I've, I've forced you to be wrong, we lose. You know what's better than being right? What's more powerful than being right? What's more revolutionary than being right? Being one, being one, which is what we're called to do, which is what Jesus radically prayed for us 2000 years ago. So how do we do that? How do we experience that? Here in this story, there was a lot of reason for division. It had a lot to do with Saul's story. Saul was a Christian killer. And yet here he was in chapter nine, converted to become one of the the biggest leaders, the most prolific writers of the New Testament, a radical transformation. And it stirred up a whole lot of right and wrong among a lot of people. So as we look at this story, there are three different ways that people let go of being right and entered into God's plan. Three different ways. One, some heard directly from the Lord. This was Saul. He had an encounter with Jesus. Then there was a guy named Ananias. You can read more details of this great story, but this poor guy, he was in Damascus and the Lord showed up to Ananias and said, "'Okay, Saul is coming. I want you to take care of him.'" (laughs) Wait, wait, what? Saul? Because he had heard about Saul. Saul's so bad. He, was, he wasn't just famous. He was infamous. And, and so, so they knew... Okay, that was a quote from Three Amigos. I'm sorry. I, I got lost there. Um, but but they, he, he knew about Saul. He had heard Saul's reputation. And so uh, uh, Ananias heard from the Lord that he was to take care of Saul, that Saul was going to be a significant part of this story. <sighs> Wouldn't that be great if we could just hear directly from the Lord on all of these issues? You know, me and my wife, we just sit here and say, God point to one of us. You know, who's just 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 you clarify this fix this up. The second way that people let go of being right, first is that they heard directly from the Lord. The second is that they saw with their own eyes. They witnessed something with their own eyes. They were they were had a certain pathway. They were heading to Damascus. They knew what was right and they saw something that made them go, "Wait a second, that's not what I Thought was right. And the main person on this is a guy named Barnabas. Barnabas, he ends up here. I'll just kind of read his story here, verse 27, just one verse. But Barnabas took him, Saul, and brought him to the apostles. These are the the leaders, the the Christian leaders, these are the disciples, etc he told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. Barnabas saw it happen. He witnessed it. He was a firsthand witness. He was heading in this direction, saw what God was doing with Saul and went, I cannot deny what I'm witnessing right here. There's another group that saw what happened with Saul and they did not respond well. The Jewish leaders in Damascus saw what was going on with Saul, who was one of their guys. And instead of letting go of being right, they hung on to being right and they wanted to kill Saul and they missed what the Lord was doing. They missed it. They stayed right and they missed it. So, One way is we hear directly from the Lord. The other is that we see it. We see it for ourselves. And then thirdly, and so often this is the most difficult, is it's one more step removed. Saul ended up going to Jerusalem and the the disciples, the leaders of the revolution, they didn't trust Saul because they knew his reputation. They wanted nothing to do with Saul. And the only way that, that Saul got embraced by that group, that Saul became Paul and ended up writing... The majority of our New Testament, the way that that happened was through Barnabas. Barnabas saw it and he told the disciples and he was a witness to them. He vouched for Saul. And the disciples were open enough and wise enough to say, I didn't see it, but I know Barnabas and I trust Barnabas. And so I am going to to allow myself to let go of being right because we're in this together, we're in a community together and Barnabas has brought something to me that is blowing my mind, but I value being one more than being right. And so I'm, I'm gonna fold this in and say, okay, now what do I do? Now what do I do? The point is not that we just walk around and we embrace what everyone says. And every, oh, I have a word from the Lord. Okay, then I'll just believe that and I'll believe that and I'll believe that. No, no. We walk around with discernment. We say, God, what are you saying here? What have I witnessed? What do people I trust say about what's going on? And maybe that can loosen us up a little bit in terms of being right. As you think about your, your journey, your pathway to Damascus, you're on a road to Damascus and you know you're right. You have confidence, which is a great thing, but as, as you're on that road, and you're just observing the ways that community is breaking down, you're on that road, and, and there, are, there are relationships that are strained in your life. There, are, there are, are poor choices that the people you care about are making or that you are making. There's just something that is wrong with that journey. and and you just know there's something I need to let go of, something I think I'm right on that maybe I'm not. There is is conflict in your most intimate of relationships, there's fighting at home, fighting in your marriage. What's it gonna take for you to release being right? What's it gonna take for you to value being one over being right? What's the Lord saying to you? What are you observing about what God's doing in your community around you, in these relationships? What do you, are your eyes open to something that might be outside of what you think is, is right? Not, I don't mean right, like morally right. I mean, what is the right path? Or third one, what about people you trust? What are they saying about what's going on? What's it gonna take? Is it gonna take Jesus showing up in front of you appearing before you and saying, I need you to think differently about this. Maybe it means we realize we're not right. We thought we were right. We're on the road to Damascus just like, just like Saul and I got, I got this one wrong. Or maybe it, you're actually right, but there's an approach that needs to change for the sake of being one. Maybe you're actually right but there's an approach that needs to be different. We need to look at it from a different angle because because community is at stake, because relationships are at stake. Before we close here, I wanna pray with you and just if there's anything that has surfaced or that God wants to surface a story, a part in your life, let's just pray for a moment and see if if the Lord can show up and, uh, and challenge us in a way that only he can. Would you bow your heads with me? Father I, in heaven, I, I pray that you would, you would just in a supernatural way be, be so present with each heart, each mind here in this room, each person who's watching, each person who's listening, each person who is at home, God, that you would stir up for each and every one of us a moment, a story, a relationship, a conflict, some part of our life where we, we're hanging on to being right and you want to show up and adjust that? Just would you surface some, some situation in our life right now and would you appear before us right now as you did with Saul? Just appear before us because we want more than us than us more than our friends, more than pastors, whatever. We wanna hear from you, Lord Jesus. Would you speak to us? In what way do you want us to live so that we value being one more than being right? Speak to us, Jesus. And I pray that you'd give us the courage to let go if we need to let go, to be confident if we need to be confident, and to trust you every step of the way, we pray. In the name of your son, Jesus, amen. Once again, I'm so glad that you guys came. You you made the right decision to come. That was, and you made the right decision to sign in and be part of this today. So glad you were here. Glad you guys were here. Please keep your masks on as we continue to practice social distancing. So good to be with you all. Have a great week. We'll see you next time.